Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. He's a police detective, and he's here to talk about the night one of his co-workers and good friends was shot and killed in the line of duty. Talk about the incident, the murder, and the aftermath. And he's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today Show. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today radio show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Calling us from the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area. On the phone, we have Detective Mitchell Ellis from the Fort Worth, Texas Police Department. Mitchell, thanks so much for joining us on Law Enforcement Today's show. Very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is a, uh, a pleasure to have you. We're going to talk about some things that really are not comfortable to talk about. I've been doing this a while now, Law Enforcement Today's show. Uh, actually, started the first episode in March of 2017 as a podcast only. And being retired police and having gone through line of duty deaths and where officers are murdered it's still a very emotional subject for me and even if i don't know the officer involved it's still emotional and that's what we're going to talk about and there's really no way of sugarcoating the conversation we're going to have yeah that's correct uh definitely a, a difficult issue but i feel like it's one that that really needs to be talked about in our country today it is and it's happening far too often I could go into arguments about that we had more killed, more killed in line of duty in the 70s and 80s than we do today, but it doesn't matter. One is too many, and when we're talking 20, 30, 40, uh, it's too many, and the impact, we talk to survivors. When I say survivors, it's a term that's used to describe family members, spouses, and co-workers of those killed in line of duty. It's never easy for them to talk about these things. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, it's, it's really, really difficult for, for many officers to talk about it. I feel like the culture, you know, it has, has been a little silent. Uh, but it does feel like there there is kind of a change uh, happening in our culture, and people are becoming more comfortable with, with talking about that survivorship and, and the different roles that, that that entails. So. Now, you would be the second guest I've had on the show from the Fort Worth Police Department. First one was quite a while ago was Matt Pierce. He survived being shot multiple times, and uh, it was a phenomenal interview. And if you haven't heard that, folks, you can get to past episodes on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. Scroll down to the bottom to you see about the radio show page or click on the Be Heard tab. You can see radio show. You can listen to it there. And also be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get updates about new episodes. He was a phenomenal interview, by the way. And you've got some great police down in Texas. Uh, we've had many guests on the show from the texas area between dps uh, state troopers uh just so many great law enforcement officers what is it about texas and policing i feel like uh texas uh there, there's obviously people people know texas you know as this place that's um you know uh, i guess 
there's a sense of uh, a sense of pride that comes with being from Texas. Uh, I think there's just a, a different mentality, um, you know, from from many of the people who who live here. But uh, there is still um, a lot of honor and a lot of respect that's given to law enforcement officers in Texas, and uh, and I think that's what uh, what makes what makes it a little different. You know, that there's just a different sense of pride, a different sense of of meaning uh, that comes along with being a peace officer in Texas. Uh, that maybe not everybody is is uh, privileged to to experience. It's good to hear that because it's not that way. It doesn't appear to be that way across the United States right now. Uh, the department I retired from Baltimore, so certainly not that way. All the things going in the news are New York City doesn't seem to be that way. Philadelphia, you name it. But there's still a lot of violence that occurs uh, in for law officers in Texas, and we're here to talk about a good friend of yours who's killed in line of duty. His name was Garrett Hall. Yeah, yeah, Garrett. Uh, Garrett was a friend of mine. Um, he was a, a teammate uh, first. Uh, I, I, I didn't know him until um, I became an officer, and then uh, we got into. I, I advanced into a, a tactical uh, response team. It, it, originally, it was called a zero tolerance, um, kind of a street crimes uh, takedown unit, and then later on, it kind of evolved into what we, what we called a special response team. Um, so it, all the guys on the special response team are, are you know, they're, most of them are SWAT certified. Um, you know, they're, they're a little more trained than your average patrol officer. Um, and they're not subject to call. So it's, it's a really exciting place to work. And, and that's where that's where Garrett and I first met um, about, about four years ago now. I did something similar for quite a few years in Baltimore. Back then it was called uh, district operations. And it's... A lot of people use the term like crime suppression. When you know there's crime problems going on in a certain district, you would send a team out there, a team of officers, try to find the bad guys, be proactive, do proactive policing, and, and try to prevent those kind of crimes with high visibility and also make arrests and bring in the, the correct people. Yeah, yeah. most most patrol divisions are, are so short-staffed these days um, that it's difficult for them to do any kind of proactive policing. Uh, so, so cities that are fortunate enough to have these teams, I mean, it's a great asset because they can really go out and um, try to make a real impact in a community. Uh, you know, go out and really catch these guys who are who are maybe causing uh, more problems uh, than others. So, um, it's it's a really great thing, uh, and it's been very successfully implemented uh, in Fort Worth. So. so, you guys worked together for a few years and then uh, went your separate ways. And, and unfortunately, just get right to the point. Officer Garrett Hull was shot and killed in line of duty. Uh, I believe he was working undercover at the time or plain clothes. It's a term that you use quite often undercover. And it's quite often the reality is it's a plain clothes assignment. Uh, you want to tell us about that night and what you know about it? Yeah, so Garrett was assigned to the tactical intelligence unit. Um, we just call it our intel unit. Um, they're a pretty elite group of officers. They, they are undercover, plainclothes officers. Um, and whenever, uh, whenever a problem arises, um, you know, that's, that's really of, of significance, you know, like a, in this instance, it was a robbery spree that was going on. And there, there was a robbery crew that was, uh, that had just kind of been terrorizing the city all summer. And, uh, this crew specifically was going after, Hispanic bars in the community that um, maybe weren't registered with the city. Maybe they weren't in TABC compliance. I mean, they, they were just kind of um, back alley type bars and, uh, and they would go in and they would um, basically put everybody on the ground at gunpoint 
and uh, and start demanding money, phones, jewelry, basically whatever they could get. But these robberies were just increasing in, in violence. I think uh, shots have been fired on, on several of these robberies. Uh, I may be incorrect, but I believe that, that two or three people were actually shot in these robberies leading up to Garrett's death. So the night that, that this operation took place, they had been tipped off about uh, some vehicles that these uh, robbery suspects may have been driving. And so they were they were following these vehicles, uh, anticipating that they might commit another robbery and that they would be able to go in and, and do a takedown. So on this night, they, they actually were, were sitting up on one of these vehicles. Uh, they, they pulled up to a bar. They see some people uh, get out and go inside the bar. And then um, the plan... I think the original plan kind of went awry whenever uh, whenever they realized that the robbery was actually taking place. So it was actually and, uh, in, in progress. It wasn't, uh, hey, let's find the, yeah. the guys, let's bring them in. Here's something a lot of people don't realize. We tried our best, especially in those type units you're talking about, to plan everything out. We didn't want to put innocent citizens, bystanders in jeopardy. We wanted to put them in a situation where it was most advantageous for us and least advantageous for them eliminate possibility pursuits the the whole nine yards so it's not like it's done willy-nilly however you made a good point there's an old saying that uh, i hear from boxers quite often you go into a a fight with a fight plan and it all goes out the window the first time you get punched in the mouth so we have these great plans about what we're going to do when you're apprehending uh, uh, especially violent criminals and it can go haywire and totally out of whack very, very quickly. And people often say, why would they do that? Well, you think they would know better. We're talking with Detective Mitchell Ellis from Fort Worth Police Department. We're talking about the night that his friend and co-worker and partner, Officer Garrett Hall, was shot and killed. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to harmonywithfood.com and click on the testing tab. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, or download our free app, also available on our website. That's lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to our conversation with Detective Mitchell Ellis on the phone, calling us from the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area. Uh, He is from the Fort Worth Police Department, and we're talking about Officer Garrett Hall, who was shot and killed in the line of duty. Before we end the break, Mitchell, you're talking about they were like a crime suppression team going after a group of bad guys who are robbing, robbing uh, undocumented bars or unregistered bars. Or 
Could you explain before we get into details why, I know the answer to this, why is it that these bad guys, these criminals will target groups where a lot of undocumented uh, immigrants may gather? Well, they're very aware that uh, they're much less likely to be reported. Uh, People are less likely to call 911. Um, They're less likely to to call the police at all um, after a robbery like that just because they know that that people that um, go to those establishments may may be afraid to call the police or uh, maybe they don't want to be found out um, because of what's going on inside the bar or because of their uh, immigration status. I mean, there's there's all kinds of reasons why they wouldn't want to include the police and uh, which makes them a, a great target for for a crew like this and that's no reason that people need to be very careful uh not it may say well that's well and good you know, i'm not a undocumented illegal immigrant whatever term people want to use when you travel to american cities and you go to tourist areas you got to realize that a lot of these predators are viewing tourists for the same reason if they rob a tourist there's a good chance that tourists, if they are caught and identified, will not re- respond back, uh, especially if they live on the other side of the United States. So th- th- this is something that people need to keep their head on a swivel about, no matter where you come from, no matter what your walk of life is. Right. So let's go back. They, they are going to apprehend these guys. That was the original plan. And it turns out they actually stumbled across a robbery in progress at one of these bars. Exactly. So they... They had an idea. Of, they thought they might know who this crew was. They, they thought they may have had them identified, uh, but there was there, they just didn't have enough solid evidence to actually issue arrest warrants for anybody yet. Um, but at the same time, they couldn't just sit back and wait. So they, you know, this team was being proactive, going out trying to catch these guys, um, actually commit a robbery in progress, um, which you know raises a lot of questions, but but they were just doing the best that they could with what they had. Um, so whenever, whenever they knew that there was a robbery in progress, they, they tried to develop a plan of, of how are we going to take these guys down? Um, they had a tactical uh, uniform team ready to, ready to launch and, uh, and kind of establish a perimeter to, con- to contain these guys. Um, well, whenever, whenever they ran out, once they had uh, committed this robbery, um, they all they all split up, just kind of went into the different directions. You know, like you said a minute ago, you get uh, you have a plan until you get punched in the face, and, and that's really what happened in this scenario. Um, you know, these, these guys kind of spread out in different directions, and um, they they broke through um, the initial perimeter pretty pretty quickly, and just kind of scattered in, into the neighborhood. And um, a, a couple of these guys were were um, were apprehended quickly or, or contained quickly. Um, but one of them, uh, ran right past, uh, Garrett, Garrett Hull's car. And, uh, so, so he had, uh, he was plain clothes, but, but he did have, um, a vest that he had, he had thrown on, uh, some police identifiers and, uh, and he gets out and he starts, he gets into a foot pursuit, um, with one of the, one of the gentlemen that, that had been, uh, involved in this robbery and, um, immediately recognized that this guy had a gun in his hand. Um, you know, Garrett and some of the other officers who were on team were, were letting everybody know that a hey, gun, 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 this guy has a gun. Obviously, he, he's a threat. Um, and the suspect ran uh, into a driveway towards towards a backyard. And, and this was a very narrow space. If you can imagine like a, a driveway that can only fit a single car and uh, the houses are, are close together. So uh, very, very close quarters. 
and um, and the suspect ran through um, a space between a vehicle and and the house next door, and and Garrett Garrett pursued him through that spot, and uh, and, and Garrett did it, this knowing he was armed, knowing he was violent, knowing that he had committed prior armed robberies all before, and and still did his job. Exactly, extremely extremely heroic. I mean, it is, and that's that's one thing a bone of contention I have with a lot of police. When you interview, you see police being interviewed on the news somewhere, and they do some heroic stuff. And you and I have seen you know brothers and sisters do this every day, and it seems to be almost a, a course of habit where they downplay say, "Oh, I was, I was just doing my job. I'm not a hero." I love to see people start saying, "Thank you." When someone calls them here to say, "Thank you." You know, let people believe that because it's true. Yeah, uh, I think officers all around the country every day are, are in similar situations where they're running after somebody, knowing that um, the threat of death or serious bodily injury to themselves is, is highly probable, and, and they're doing it anyway because um, because they're committed to their profession, they're committed to, to keeping their community safe. And to to really be in there for their for their other brothers and sisters um, who are out there trying to do the same thing. And they also know deep down, it may not be the front of mind, but they also know that there's a potential that I, they could get into a jackpot and have you know, civil liability and political issues and uh, elected officials calling for their heads. But those things really don't come to mind. I can remember for me, it was about, I want to protect people where I work on my post, and I don't want to let my brothers and sisters down. I want to make sure they're okay, too. Exactly. So you you chase the guy, and that's what Garrett was doing. He was going after him. Yeah, yeah. This is And Garrett was an extremely athletic guy. I mean, he he was not not somebody that I would want chasing me. So he, he he was a very capable uh, physically and, and obviously mentally, I mean, he was he was in incredible shape. So um, he he was definitely doing something that that he was uh, he was capable of doing. Um, and as I said, uh, when when the suspect went went in between this gap, um, Garrett followed through. Well, as Garrett was trying to squeeze through this gap between a vehicle and this house, um, the 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 account that. That I, that's been relayed to me, you know, just through through the department and um, you know the various public releases. Obviously, I wasn't there. Uh, was that that the suspect turned and started firing, and, and uh, it sounded to me it, it, it seemed like a, a the simultaneous gun gunfight took place where where Garrett and the suspect were firing at each other, and um, one one of the rounds that the suspect fired um, impacted the house that Garrett was standing by. And then ricocheted and impacted uh, him in the forehead, and uh, bullet obviously entered entered his um, entered his head and um, along along the top of his forehead, and he was immediately incapacitated. Uh, he went to the ground. Um, the suspect was also struck by by Garrett's bullets at the same time. Several shots that Garrett fired were extremely effective, and, and they had kind of taken the suspect to his knees. Um, and then there were two other officers that, that were right behind Garrett whenever this happened. And, and both of those officers stepped up and, um, and as the suspect raised his gun again, um, they started firing on the suspect and ultimately stopped that threat. Um, and then at the, all, all of this happening at the same time, there were several other officers who, who stepped up in the line of fire and grabbed Garrett and pulled him back into the street. 
and uh, started administering first aid and and, and uh, getting him into a vehicle so he could be transported out of there. And my memory's correct, he was hospitalized for a period of time, and we all waited, even up, you know, here in Florida, and, and people I know in Maryland from the Baltimore Police Department were, were waiting and hoping for something positive, and it turned out not to be positive news at all. Yeah, it was it was almost uh, almost twenty four hours. I don't, I don't, it wasn't quite uh, wasn't quite twenty four hours, but um, yeah, there there was definitely a lot of hope. A lot of people praying uh, for Garrett to, to pull through during that time. That was that was a very difficult time. Um, you know, anybody who's been in in that kind of situation where you're you know at an at a hospital and uh, you know your friends there and you don't know whether he's going to make it or not. Uh, that's definitely a it's a strange phenomenon. Uh, it's a tough one to deal with, for sure. And I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it. We're going to talk more about this. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are talking with Detective Mitchell Ellis from Fort Worth, Texas Police Department. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for law enforcement today radio show when you get there click like and follow as click like and follow law enforcement today radio show on facebook and if you're on the clubhouse drop-in audio chat app be sure to look for me and follow me my name's john the letter j wiley w-i-l-e-y you can also search for at let radio show that's john j Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return our conversation with Detective Mitchell Ellis from the Fort Worth Police Department. And we're talking about the night, uh, his friend, former co-worker, uh, colleague, brother in blue. When I say brother in blue, uh, brothers and sisters, that is not... A term we use lightly, uh, and that's a term that fits to anybody across the United States. And I didn't know Garrett, um, but I feel the emotional pain because I've been through so many of these funerals. And I had a good friend who was shot and killed in line of duty, and it took me a long time um, to get my head right about that. Uh, prior to Garrett being shot and killed in that incident, you you two had worked together for quite a while, uh, and then went in different directions. Uh, that's correct. And when you heard about this, mm-hmm. was it shortly after the incident or was it the next day? Um, so he was shot um, around midnight um, on September 13th. Um, so it was early, early in the morning. I think it was about 5 a.m. on the 14th whenever I found out and um, immediately went to a hospital. I found out through a, a, a message thread um my team that I, the the detective team that I work with now, uh, they just there's a, a basically a text message thread that I found out through. But um, but I, I just all it said was that Garrett had been shot in the head, um, and, and so I knew that he was still alive. Um, so that there, there was there was some hope there, but um, there it was definitely a, a surreal moment. Uh, it's something that I'll never I'll never forget. Uh, picking up my phone and, and seeing that notification, that, that's for sure. When I found out with my friend Billy Martin, who was shot and killed, and, and he was shot in the head and killed, um, I, I can remember to this day, I, I was working, I was in another district. Uh, he had worked for me as a, uh, I was a sergeant. I transferred a few months before that. Uh, 
And it was literally like someone hit me in the stomach with a sledgehammer. It was uh, just total devastation. Uh, and the immediate panic, like, uh, please don't let it be the worst case scenario. Please let it be almost like wanting to plea bargain or begging with, with God. It's like, please just let him be okay. And of course he wasn't. Yeah, I think I think my brain wanted to minimize what had happened, and you know, we obviously, if you're a police officer for any any amount of time, you you work shootings. You know, you you go out on calls where where people have been shot, and it's very common for people to survive those injuries. And uh, and so I think when I first signed out, that's that's what my brain wanted to think, and that's kind of what I told myself that oh, that you know, this is something that he can recover from. And it's it's hard to put into words, and I don't know if you can can describe it better than I can. It's it's almost like a, a manic, and and not to confuse people with highly religious stuff. It's almost like a manic prayer and um, negotiations in your head, and thinking it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. It's going to be bad. But it's not going to be that bad. And then when you find out that it's that bad and worse, then really I had no idea how to handle this stuff. I knew what I was supposed to do, you know, Department of Rules and Regulations and all that stuff, but I had no idea how to talk to his widow. I had no idea how to process how I was feeling. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and I think that's uh, a common a common story that, that I've heard. It, it, you know, we you talk about this brotherhood and this this friendship and this relationship that we have with our coworkers, this bond, and um, not all of us are fortunate enough to to have a relationship where we, where we know someone's family, um, on that same level, or we have a friendship on that same level. Uh, so when you get to the hospital, there is this time where it's almost like you don't know your place. You don't know, is it okay for me to, is it okay for me to say hi? Is it okay for me to introduce myself? Uh, there is this, this, um, awkward time, I think for many officers who are in that position of, you know, what do I do? What do I say? Um, that's definitely something that, uh, that most people don't think about until until it's already happened. Did you, like me, struggle with guilt that I should have been there? If I had been there, it would have turned out different? Absolutely. That that first 24 hours after Garrett had been shot, uh, I was constantly... My brain... It was like my brain was running, trying to figure out how I could have been there. Uh, what if I hadn't promoted or what if I had promoted and, and gone to a different unit or, I mean, it, my brain was just desperately searching to figure out a way to, to put me on that scene so that maybe I could have done something. Uh, maybe, maybe I could have helped. Maybe it would have gone differently. Uh, that, that's, that's what I struggled with immediately after. I was just trying to figure out how I could have been there. And that's not uncommon. I mean, we do that. I should say I did that as a matter of practice and trying to get better at your job. So if we had a call, say a bad shooting, uh, it was a hom- turned to be a homicide. What could I have done different? How could I have improved? What could I have done maybe to save this guy's life? Uh, and it, it, we always second guess ourselves, but I didn't beat myself up tremendously over those. Those all took their toll. But when a coworker was killed, it was totally different. It was the same, but totally different in that I, I knew it was illogical. I knew it didn't make sense, but I couldn't stop doing it. Yeah, that's, that's a great description, I think, of, of what 
what I went through and I think what, what a lot of officers go through in, in these situations. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I, I think there were hundreds of people going through the same thing I went through the night that we found about our friend. And probably the same situation the night Garrett was killed, that, that there were probably literally hundreds of men and women doing the same thing that you were doing. And I'd be willing to bet not one of us talked to each other about it. Yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to have have a close friend, and uh, he was actually an academy classmate of mine. That I, I I was desperate. I didn't know what to do, and, and I called called him and talked to him about it. And uh, I won't I won't go into his story, but but he, he had been through something very similar in the military, and um, he, he basically told me that the toll that it had taken on him personally throughout his life. Um, for just continuing on in that, in that train of thought. And, and he really helped me snap out of it, um, in that conversation with him. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful to him for, uh, for speaking to me, uh, for being willing to share his story with me and, and kind of help, help get me back on the right track that, Hey, that's not going to help in this situation. You've got to get your head, your head straight and, <laughs> and, uh, and focus on the other things, the other tasks that are at hand. I wonder if that's something that's, catching on because back in my day and i hate to sound like that guy but back in my day we didn't do that you know when we had really bad things happen the way we resolved it or dealt with it was after work we got a, a case of beer and went somewhere and where we could be alone and drink beer and talk to each other and a lot of times it wasn't talking about that event it was about other things but it seemed to help you know it wasn't the yeah. best way of handling it that's for certain but that's all we had at the time yeah, I think uh, just having that camaraderie uh, in one way, shape, or form, um, you know, that experiencing that bond is, is is healing for a lot of people. I'm glad you talked to him. I'm glad, and you're not going to put his name out there, and I don't want to, but him or her, talk to them, and please tell them I said thank you, not just for their service, but thank you for doing that, because it's so easy to, you know, to, to not answer the phone. To, to say, hey, I'm busy. I can't do this right now. Because um, it's a difficult conversation to have. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm extremely grateful for him and, and his vulnerability. I mean, because I, I know that you know, it's difficult. And I, I think that's why we don't talk about it. It's because it's, it, these, are, these things are so hard to talk about. And, and cops aren't good at being emotional. They're not good at expressing emotion or, or feeling. And, you know, just because we've, we've got that turned off all day. Um, you know, and sometimes for, for some of us, it's, it's permanently turned off. Um, and that's the risk that, able- that we run that eventually we developed this armor to deal with this stuff all the time. And eventually we can't take it off. That's, you know, a way of a, a metaphor describing it. Uh, I'm glad you did. Uh, one of the things I want people to know is I cried a lot. I cried a lot, but you never saw it. It was always in a patrol car when I was by myself or, or on my drive home from work or whatever it might be, but it was done very privately. And that uh, was not something that was easy to do. Um, and you were absolutely right. It's not easy to let each other know that. And I think most of us, myself included, live with the fear that we would say the wrong thing and make matters worse. We're talking with Detective Mitchell Ellis from the Fort Worth, Texas Police Department, talking about... Uh, the murder of his co-worker police officer Garrett Hall and the after effects we're going to take a short break we'll be right back epidemic America's public health crisis these are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States countless lives are lost 
and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. I'm John J. Wiley, joined on the phone by Detective Mitchell Ellis from Fort Worth, Texas Police Department. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Uh, Mitchell, we're talking quite a bit. I'm, I'm, thank you for, for opening up about uh, your feelings and the, the emotions and uh, particularly the, the guilt, what I could have done different had I been there, blah, blah, blah. And it is an excruciating difficult process to work her way through by themselves. We're talking about when your friend and co-worker Garrett Hull was killed in the line of duty. Before we get further into the conversation, what kind of guy was Garrett? You said he was very physically fit. He was a, a good police, uh, very good at his job. What kind of guy was he away from work? Uh, he was he was a family man. Uh, he he was always uh, looking for for a good reason to uh, to spend time with his family. Um, he had two daughters, and um, he he was a he was a proud proud dad, um, always showing off pictures and telling stories about, um, you know, his girls and what they were doing in, in sports and, um, things like that. So, um, you know, I, th- I think that was, you could tell he had his, his priorities straight. Obviously he loved his job, but, but he didn't neglect his home or his family. And, um, and he was very, very proud of his girls and, um, and, and he loved his wife. So, um, just, just, he was, he was a man's man. I mean, he, he was just a really, a really good guy. Somebody that, that you wanted to be around. And, uh, and more than anything, he was somebody that, that you felt confident in. You felt safe. I mean, he was somebody that you wanted on your team, uh, somebody that you wanted on your side. And, and if he's behind you or in front of me, in front of you, you know, you just, you just have that confidence that, Hey, this guy's going to get the job done. Um, and, and that's, that was, uh, anybody who's ever worked with him um, would, would probably tell you the same thing about him. That he was just this. Uh, um, one of the reasons I think that's figure, imp- you know, yeah. One of the reasons I think it's important is that most of the survivors I've talked to, they say that what's most important to them is that their their loved one, their coworker, their partner is not forgotten. Uh, and you know, in our community, in the law enforcement community, we remember each other. We we make a point to, to try to remember that they're not forgotten. And ODMP does a good job, and the National Law Enforcement Officer Memorial does a good job. But you know, people in general, they don't know, and the news media doesn't tell them what these people are like. They don't tell. They just say he's a police officer, and almost like you're a robot. A police officer was shot, or a police officer did this, and uh, that's it. One of the things that really drives me nuts, and in this case he didn't make it but they'll say the officer's injuries are not life-threatening and they'll survive and that's the end of the story they never talk about all like our your your co-worker matt pierce they, they don't talk about what they went through to get to back to where they're at what their family went through they don't talk about how their spouse had to become a caregiver 
Uh, there's so much that is not talked about involving our law enforcement officers. And I believe that's part of the reason why we have so much animosity, because people can view us as robots. Yeah, I think you're right. I think removing um, that personal connection um, with with officers that, that they are real people and they uh, they go home to, to their families just like anybody else from any other job. Um, but but the the realities of police work it's it, it is much different than you know going going to a nine to five and and the family. Uh, not only does the officer make the ultimate sacrifice, but each and every family member associated with that officer is making an incredible sacrifice. Uh, and it's usually one that, that they didn't ask for, you know, they, they didn't ask to be survivors. And, uh, and I think in many aspects of our society, uh, those survivors are forgotten. So we have a, a good friend of this show. Uh, her husband was a, uh, um, a police officer in Tarpon Springs, Florida, Charlie Kondek, who was uh, shot and killed in line of duty. Her name's Teresa. And one of the things she'll say, she's written several articles. She's been on the Law Enforcement Today show. And she says that, you know, this is not a club anybody wants to be a part of. And yet, here I am, and I basically have to make the best of this. And it's it's a lifelong thing after that. It's not like these people choose to have this outcome. Uh, and, and in particular, we have spouses, we have their children that grow up without you know, a mother or a father, and their lives are, are impacted. The rest of their lives are impacted. Yeah, the, the, the families are, are definitely impacted in a way that, uh, that is not documented enough. Um, my my father-in-law was a Dallas police officer, and he was killed in the line of duty when my wife was four years old. And uh, thankfully, uh, since that time, we've been introduced to an organization called Concerns of Police Survivors. And uh, there's there's a national branch of Concerns of Police Survivors. And then uh, locally, throughout the country, there's, there's uh, hundreds of chapters, local chapters, of concerns of police survivors. And here we have, uh, the DFW Metroplex concerns of police survivors. And, uh, and, and their main focus is, uh, really ministering to, uh, families, spouses, kids, aunts, uncles, uh, parents and coworkers. And, and they provide tre- retreats throughout, throughout the year that, that support, uh, they provide therapy, uh, counseling, and really more than anything, a connection with other survivors, other people who are going through the same thing. Um, because I think uh, people that try to go at this alone, they, uh, oftentimes they don't realize that there's other people that are going through the same thing that I'm going through. And, and I think there's a lot of healing that's offered in that. I hear from quite, off, quite a few people, uh, you know, brothers, fathers, mothers, spouses, uh, adult children of those killed in line of duty that they're actively involved in concerns of police survivors. They go to retreats, they do outings, they do things where they're not alone. Uh, I've heard recently uh, about active and retired members, law enforcement officers that, that mentor or that help, especially with children uh, at the, their retreats and getaways and they volunteer. I haven't met a lot of active officers that are actively involved in concerns of police survivors. Are you one? I am, uh, well, I was actively involved before, obviously, as a a son-in-law. I guess I would be classified as as an adult child. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Since my 
but but it, it it has been a little interesting because being involved before um, in one survivorship and then now, um, you know, I would be classified as a coworker. You know, losing losing a coworker in the line of duty. So uh, I'm getting to see it in a different light. Uh, there are, there are some officers who are involved in the organization, um, but I think that it would it would benefit. Uh, departments around the nation greatly if they were more informed about this organization and if they encouraged their officers to, to get involved uh, to, to get involved in concerns of police survivors from a co-worker perspective. One of the things that I've learned, and I'm, I got involved with Concerns of Police Survivors back around 1989, 1990, when they first started, um, and one of the things that, that I struggle with and I've had to learn to do is to not break off communication with someone who lost a loved one because I'm still fearful I'm going to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. And I'll give you a good example. A guy, a guy I went through the academy with, a great guy, great police. One of his sons was a police officer who was shot and killed in line of duty. And I had to pick the phone and call him and say, listen, and this was a couple of years after the murder. And I called him and I said, Chuck, I'm your friend and I don't know what to say, so I'm just calling you. You know, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. You want to talk about Jason? We'll talk about him. If you don't, that's cool too. But I don't know how to act. And yeah, that, that was the start for the whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost comical because it sounds so inept. We know how to do everything we're supposed to do. In the worst possible scenarios, you're, you're the one who, who who brings some sort of ordered chaos as a police officer. And yet, when something like that happens, it's like we are totally befuddled by what do i say yeah that's that's really common and i, and I think the fear maybe the fear of upsetting them uh i, I don't know there, there's all kinds of crazy things that we think about when we're faced with that situation um but having some experience with survivors now i think uh, for the most part they just they just want to be treated normally they want to be treated like everybody else so whether that's hey how's How's your day? How's school? How how are the girls doing? How, how are the kids doing? You know what what do you guys have planned this summer? I mean, they really just want to be connected with on on just a regular human level, just like anybody else. And um, and and sometimes that's that's really hard for for us to do to to kind of break out and and just talk to somebody uh, is difficult. But uh, that's that's what our survivors need. They they just need support on that human emotional level um just just like anybody just like anybody else where can people get more information about concerns of police survivors uh so the acronym is cops but um you can go to uh, national concerns of police survivors dot com and um or you can just google uh concerns of police survivors uh to find your your local chapter um there's there's chapters in almost every state all across the united states so no matter where you're from um, you'll be able to find a chapter of, of local survivors uh, who are there to support you um, through, through this kind of healing journey that, that you're on if, if you're in that survivorship role. Detective Mitchell Ellis, thanks so much for your service and thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.